0: Well, it's so good to be back. Um, I'm Matt Wolfe, the lead pastor here. I was gone last week on vacation, and I missed you guys. I really did. I missed you guys, and I'm so glad to be back worshiping with you and seeing your lovely faces. Um, We're going to be back in our series called Come and Follow, and our uh, fourth message in that series. Um, Jimmy Smith, in last week, did a great job talking about serving and talking about missions. You can always go back and and check out that or any of the other messages in the series that you may have missed on our website, stapletonchurch.com. We have the audio and the video, and it's a great-looking website, if I say so myself. We just updated that uh, last month, so make sure you check that out if you haven't seen uh, the website, and it it looks great. It's really user-friendly and all that good stuff. Well, it's good to see you. We're going to be in John chapter 15 today, so if you have a Bible, go ahead and flip there. You can use your smartphone. We also have the passage of Scripture up here on the screen, so you can follow along. And our, our fourth message is come and remain, come and remain. You know, before moving back to Colorado, I lived in Nebraska for the last five and a half years. You know, I had grown up in in Southern California for a few years as a kid and then into Colorado Springs. So I was a city kid. I was a city kid, not a country kid. And then I went out in Nebraska, and the thing that everyone does in Nebraska is have a garden. Big gardens, huge gardens. So we decided to try our hand at gardening. We didn't know what we were doing. So we we tried, and, and we would do all sorts of different things. We, we grew tomatoes and onions every year. but grew a lot of jalapenos. Habaneros one year, those were good. A little spicy, but good. We, we grew a lot of okra. We had some great fried okra when we were out there. Beets, all different things we would try, different things every year, and get better and better as we were going. And one of the ty- conversations that people would have towards the end of summer and into the fall, every single year you have the same conversations people say, how's your garden doing? This is just normal conversation. Out there. How's your garden doing? And when people ask that, they don't want to know how many plants you have or even how big the plants are. What they're asking is how is your garden producing? They want to know, are you having good vegetables? Are you having good fruit? Come out of your garden because that's what matters. It doesn't matter how big the plants are or how many plants you have. It's are, you, are they actually producing? And are they producing something good? One year we had a tomato plant, two of them actually, and they were doing great, growing really big. And then we saw the tomatoes coming out, lots of them, and they were all covered with these green spots, like a blight on it. And they were worthless to eat, you know, just terrible tomatoes. So even though we had lots of tomatoes, it wasn't very good, right? Because it wasn't good fruit. It's all about what is produced. And what we're going to talk about today is Jesus uses this metaphor of producing fruit from a garden, from a vineyard, and that's what it's all about. Because it doesn't matter how many plants you are, how how big they are. No, no. What's it producing? What's it producing? What's it making? And that's what God cares about in our lives. What are we producing in our lives and in the lives of people around us? What are we producing? God cares about it a ton, as we're going to see in this passage. Because he wants us to become the people that are mature. That are loving, caring. People of character. He, He wants to see us impacting the others, people around us as well. Helping others. God wants us to produce something. He wants us to be a person and be a person that is producing fruit. And that's what we are aiming for in our lives, or we should be. I think most of us in the back of our head kind of have this idea of who we want to be. We say, someday I'd like to be you know, mature, wise, uh, you know, a better person, more patient. I want to be a, a good father or mother or grandfather. You, know, you see this person that you want to be and then you see where you are and <laughs> there's a big gap, right? There's a big gap. But we all kind of have this idea of who we want to be. Well, God wants us to become a certain type of person too. That's really what he's aiming for. He wants you to be a person that produces this fruit in your life and in the lives of others around you. And that's his goal. He's taking you there. So in our series that we've seen that Jesus calls us to come follow him, and we're have seen four. We're going to see four different components of this call to follow him. He's just saying, hey, just follow me. And we started out at the beginning by seeing Jesus' call to just say, come and see. That's what he said. Come and see. You don't have to believe. You can doubt. You can be skeptical. Just come and see. Just check it out. Read a little bit of Bible. Come to church. See, okay, is this true? But then you move to the next phase because you realize it is true. God is good. Jesus Christ did die for my sins. And you begin to believe. And that was that second phase, come and rest. Because you realize I can't save myself, but Jesus already died and did everything for me to save me. And this resting phase, where, where it's this time where you becoming a Christian really. And you're following, you're coming and seeing, and then coming and resting. And today we're going to see the third phase, come and remain. Because there's this third component in this journey of following after Jesus. That Jesus says, okay, now I want you to begin to grow and bear fruit. I want you to produce in your life. You've been resting in me, you've been learning and growing, but now it's time to really produce. So we're going to see a a simple um, big idea here, very simple, just three words, so I think you can remember it. Um, And it's to attain, remain Pretty simple, right? To attain, remain So there's this person that we want to be To attain that There's this uh, production that God wants us to have in our life To be a certain type of person Have this character, have this wisdom, have this growth And he says, in order to attain that All that you have to do is remain To attain, remain Simple, right? And we're going to go throughout this passage That we're going to see in John chapter 15 Four different ways that we are to remain How do we do that? What does it look like in our lives? So that we can be the people we've always wanted to be and that God has called us to be and is aiming for us to become. To attain it, we must remain. To attain, remain. So let's start reading in John chapter 15, verse 1. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit He prunes If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. So I want you to see from this passage two different things. And the first is the metaphor that Jesus is using here. What's he using? The metaphor of a vineyard, of a vine and branches. So there's these vines. And if you've ever been around vineyards, maybe you've been to wine country, or you've seen some some grapevines, You see, these grapevines take years and years and years to develop good fruit. To make good grapes that people will crush and make good wine out of, it takes years, sometimes decades, to make the good fruit. And Jesus is saying, hey, this is what you're supposed to do. God cares so much about it that he cuts off any branch that isn't bearing fruit. It's worthless. It's not doing what it's supposed to do. He wants to make wine. He wants good fruit. And in order to do that, it has to be a good bearing fruit. Branch. And even the branches that are bearing fruit, he prunes. He prunes. Because the ones that aren't bearing fruit, he throws away. They're worthless. But the ones that are, he wants to make them produce even more. God cares a a lot about what you produce in your life. The fruit that you are bearing. So that's the first thing I want you to see. And and part of this metaphor, too, he said there's somebody who's a gardener. Who do he say is the gardener? God. God is the one doing this pruning. Now, I learned this with tomatoes. Our first year, we just kind of let it grow and... It just happened. And there's all these different tomato vines. They're going everywhere, all these different branches. And uh, we b- didn't get very many tomatoes out of it. I mean, like, well, actually, what, you're not supposed to keep all the branches. You, you, you could, but you won't get as much tomatoes or as good of tomatoes. You have to prune it. So you have to learn to do that with your tomato vine, that you cut off even ones that look pretty good. Look, oh, yeah, that could grow. Because you want other ones to, to grow the most fruit and the best fruit. That's what you do with the tomato vine, if you've ever gardened. Same thing you do with a vineyard. You've got to prune different branches that aren't bearing fruit so that the other ones can bear even more. And God cares very much about it. And it goes in seasons. Has anybody been to a vineyard in the winter? Anybody ever driven by one or seen one? It's completely pruned back. There's cut back to nothing. You'd think it's dead. But then the next year it's going to grow even more. And they do that every single year. So I want you to see this. Because in this metaphor, and I could give a whole message just on this, and maybe someday I will, is that it takes years, sometimes decades, to develop the, the real fruit in your life. It's going to take a while to really become the person that God wants you to be. It's the first thing. It's the same thing with the vine. But the second thing is that you realize that there's going to be seasons where you aren't producing the fruit that you want to. There's seasons of your life that are like winter, that are trials, that are hard, and you're like, this is so tough. But then you're going to realize that through that, through that pruning, you're going to become even more fruitful on the other side. So Some of you are in that season that's really tough right now. But God is even using that so that you can produce more fruit and be, attain and become the person you're supposed to become. So I want to point that out. So that's the first thing, the metaphor. I want you to see that in that passage. But the second thing, in just those first six verses, did you see the word that was repeated? What was it? Remain. How many times did it say just in those six verses the word remain, Jesus? Six times. And once we get to the end of verse 17, our passage for today, we're going to see that word appear 11 different times. Now, in the ancient world, paper was very expensive. There wasn't very much of it. So every word that you read in the Bible is important. So if it appears twice, it's very important. If it appears 11 times, you better pay attention. (laughs) So Jesus is saying... Listen to this. Remain, 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 remain. This is so important. If you want to attain, remain. If you want to attain, you must remain. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And that word remain, in some other translations, is the word abide. It's a word, um, the Greek word meno, which means remaining in the same place over a period of time. It's like living, residing, remaining, abiding somewhere. And in the context of this, Jesus is saying remain in me. He's saying that this is a relationship a committed, long-term relationship that you are entering in with me. I want you to remain in this relationship with me. So I want you to think about that, a long-term relationship. So those of you who have long-term relationships that are committed, especially, think about a marriage. Okay, you say, oh, we're going to have this marriage. We're going to be committed to each other through thick and thin. We're going to communicate. We're going to go out on dates. Yes, you should do that even if you're married. You should still go out on dates. Okay, You, you have to commit to each other. And it takes some work, doesn't it? Because there will be times, those of you who are married know this, that you disagree on some things. You have to talk it out. You have to figure out, you have different opinions, you've got to okay, work it out, compromise, how are we going to do this? When we have this relationship with Christ, we have to work on it. So that's why this remaining, I want you to think about it as a relationship. Jesus is saying, if you want to be the person that you want to be, that God is calling you to be, you have to remain, you have to stay in this relationship and be committed to me. And this is amazing things. Jesus doesn't say there's this 15 step program you have to do. He doesn't say join this class or go to this institution. He's always just saying follow me. Because in the relationship of following me, learning from me, watching me, he says, and you're in this relationship, it is going to change you. It's going to transform you. And you're going to begin to produce what you were meant to produce, to attain the, the things that you were meant to attain. Alan Hirsch once wrote that Jesus is the teacher, the curriculum, and the classroom. So just following Jesus, learning from him, he's the teacher, we learn from him. He's the curriculum, study him, how did he live, what did he do? He's the classroom. By being in this relationship with him, we are growing and maturing and producing the fruit we are meant to produce. So when we talk about following Jesus, this section of that journey is remaining in a relationship with him. Being committed in this relationship. So some of you need to say today, hey, I'm going to make this relationship that I have with Jesus a priority. Because it can very easily take a back burner and we forget we get busy with life, we're traveling, we got stuff with work, and then all of a sudden it's been months and months and months since you've ever been to church, haven't even cracked open your Bible in a few years, and you're like, what happened? We have to make it a priority, because it's a relationship. Just like your marriage, if, if you don't hang out with your wife, if you don't talk with her, if you don't live in the same house, things are going to go poorly. Same thing with our relationship with Jesus. We have to commit to it. We have to say, hey, I'm going to make this relationship a priority. And, and for those of you who are busy, just, just realize this. We drift away. Now, did anybody go to the beach this summer? Anybody? we got maybe a, a couple people I remember as a kid going to the beach and we'd go out to play you know, with my siblings or cousins or friends or whatever and we'd go out there and we'd be out there, I don't know, hours it seemed like, jumping in the waves, doing all this sort of stuff and then you'd look back at shore and I would freak out because I had no idea where I was, where were my parents because what would happen, you'd be out in the water just playing and all of a sudden that current would pull you away and away and away and all of a sudden you'd be 300 yards down shore and you're like, where, are, where am I? Because that's what happens. This current just pulls you away slowly. You don't even notice. That's what happens in our lives. We're going to sing a hymn after the message. And one one of the lines in it says, Prone to wander, Lord I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That's what our hearts do. We just kind of get distracted, busy, and all of a sudden we're drifting and drifting farther away from Jesus and all of a sudden we're lost at sea. We have to say, no, I'm going to commit to it. I'm going to remain in my relationship with Jesus. So Jesus says, remain in me. Just come and remain in me. So I want to challenge you to do that. Some of you um, have been through these phases of the journey, and you've been seeing, you you were kind of doubting and skeptical, but then you realize, I do believe, you're finding rest in Jesus Christ. This is amazing. And now I'm saying, now is the time to commit to this relationship. Say, I'm going to remain in Jesus for a lifetime. I'm going to remain in this relationship with him. So these are the four ways in this passage that we're going to see of how we are to remain. So how do we do it? Four ways. So the first one is to be in conversation with Christ. Be in conversation with Christ. Let's look at verses 7 and 8. Verse 7, Jesus says, If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. He's saying, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish. So, my words remain in you. So, we're listening, we're reading, understanding, memorizing even the words of Jesus. And we're also asking him for things. We're talking to Jesus, right? There's this conversation. It's two-way conversation we have in our relationship with Christ. Two-way. It's a relationship relationship where we're... we're Talking to him, he's talking to us. And I could preach a whole message on this verse, and I, and I have before, actually. Because, um, you know, there's so much about this. Well, ask whatever you wish, because you're going to realize that as you're in this relationship with Jesus, you're going to slowly become more like him and not be asking for these stupid, asinine things that we do most of the time. You know? And you realize, no, I'm going to ask for the things that he wants in my life. And we're going to be bearing more fruit because of that. But that's a message for another day. What I want you to see today is that Jesus is saying, if you remain in me, part of that requires you to be in a conversation with me. You need a conversation in a marriage relationship, right? You have to work on it. I know when Melissa and I first started dating, we realized very quickly that we wouldn't have been able to make it work if it was long distance. We really struggled at talking on the phone, and we still do. You know, it would, For those of you who are in long distance relationships or who have made it work, that's amazing to me because we never could have done it. Like two weeks is like really hard because what we realized, we're talking on the phone, it's hard, okay? We, we have to, and, and just to coordinate um, schedules, I remember this last June I was out in California for two weeks gone, and we had to schedule times where we would talk on the phone so we both wouldn't be busy, you know? Or, or hey, we're going to Skype at this time. And not only that, we had to, I, I really had to work on this to figure out things that we should talk about. I had to plan what I was going to talk about with her because I was just on the phone, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I would just talk about the people, the boring stuff that I was doing at my class. She doesn't want to hear about that. No, I have to really plan and think about this conversation I'm going to have with my wife because we have a relationship. So with Jesus, too, we need to be deliberate in our conversation. Deliberate in our conversation. So I, I said it's two-way, and I think that most of us are good at one or the other. Who in here is a really good talker? You can just talk someone's ear off. You're like, have to think about what to talk about? I've <laughs> never had that problem in my life. I'll, I've never run out of things to talk about. Okay, and, and you're like that with God. You're telling him, God, this is a struggle in my life. You're saying, God, could you help me with this? God, could you do that for me? You know, you're just talking, 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 talking. And for, for, if that's you, that's awesome. But let's work on the second side of that relationship. Let's listen. Let, let's learn to just be still and listen to God. And let's learn to, to read his scripture because, you know, he's, he's written this book. You know, a lot of people say, I wish God would talk to me. And he does. He'll whisper things to us, tell us things. But he also wrote us 66 books. I wish God would talk to me. He's like, I did! Read it! So that's, there's half of us in here that are the talkers. The other half are the, the listeners or the readers. Who in here is like that? You're really good at reading, and, and, and you'll just read and read and read, and, and you're even good at reading your Bible. You're, you're, you're just jumping in, reading the Scriptures, and then you close it and you're done with your day. And it's hard for you to do that conversation, talking with God. To tell them things that are going on. So we got to work. Some of us are good at one. Some of us are good at the other. And we got to get good at both. We need a conversation with Christ. To talk with him. To listen to him. When we read something in, our, in the scripture that we don't understand or disagree with, tell him. It's a conversation. That's what you do with your spouse. In a, in a committed relationship, you talk about things. Tell him, I don't know about this, God. You can tell them those things. Tell them the things that are on your heart. It's a conversation. And, and in this relationship, you're going to develop and change, and you're going to begin to produce the fruit that you were created to produce. That you were created to produce. This is an amazing thing, that in this relationship you're in, you're going to be changed. In this relationship that you have with Christ, you are going to be changed through it. This, a couple of weeks ago, I was talking with a guy, and he said, you know, I used to really struggle with anger issues. I would just fly off of the handle on people and just lie into them. I was so angry. And he said, what I decided to do was just every morning just pray to God and tell him five things I'm thankful for. It's a pretty simple thing to do. Say, God, thank you for this, thank you for this. And he said, through the process of doing that over a few years, he's like, I don't have that problem with anger anymore. I find myself more thankful. And he said, on top of that, that there was somebody that he worked with that was struggling with anger, the same issues, and he started helping that person with their anger issues. Because that's what happens. You're going to be producing this fruit, this character, patience, all of a sudden, and then you're going to want to help others to grow too. You're producing fruit in yourself and in others, helping people follow Jesus. That's what happens when you're in this conversation and relationship with Christ. This relationship changes you and transforms you. And here's the thing, it's not going to just change with words. Yes, you're going to be learning God's Word, you're going to be reading it, you're going to be talking to Him, hearing His voice, feeling the nudge of the Holy Spirit, but it's also going to be leading you into action. So that's our second point. The second way to remain is to love God through obedience. The way to remain in a relationship with Christ is to obey Him, to love God through obedience. We're going to see this in verses 9 and 10. Verse 9 says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. So Jesus taught us what to do and he showed us what to do. It's to obey. This is how you have this good relationship. This is how you produce the things that you're supposed to produce, by doing them. As you act, as you do these things, as you put into practice the things that you're learning in your conversation with Christ, reading the scriptures, as you're doing them, it will change you and transform you, and you'll begin to produce fruit. Now, I hear a lot of people in the Christian subculture in our country say that, you know, they really complain that America is biblically illiterate. Have you ever heard that? That Biblically illiterate? People just don't know the Bible. And it's really true. Statistics, all these studies are showing that people of this generation know the Bible way less than the last few generations. And I, with, I remember talking with this young young person, and they didn't know who King David was. I was like, what? King David, I thought everybody knew who King David was. But no, people don't know the Bible. And a lot of people say, that's the problem with America. People need to know the Bible more. And that's partially true. People do need to know more truths from scriptures, But I don't think that's the biggest problem. Because I know a lot of people who know the Bible well and don't do what it says. And I think that's a much bigger problem in our country much bigger problem that people understand these things. They, they get it up here, but for some reason they don't do it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, Jesus knows only one possibility. Simply go and obey. Do not interpret or apply, but do it and obey. Do it and obey. You know, when we stand before Jesus one day, he's not going to give us a quiz on systematic theology. He's not going to care how much Hebrew-Greek words we know. He's not going to care if we know the difference between premillennialism and amillennialism. If you even know what that is. He doesn't care about that. I mean, it's good to know these truths. I study them. I, I love theology. But the point is, do you take what you know and put it into practice? Do you do the things that we are taught to do? Are you obeying Jesus? So... As you're in this conversation with Jesus, as you're learning and growing and talking with him, the Holy Spirit nudges you and you realize, I'm not doing that. And instead of just saying, yep, I'm not doing that. No, no, we go out and do it. We go out and do it. This week, I was really convicted (laughs) by this passage because I was realizing I'm not obeying right there. I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. And I really felt God telling me, obey. That's part of this relationship. That's what we have to do. You know, it is difficult, it's challenging. Sometimes you're like, man, that's hard. But we've got to do it. We've got to obey. One of the things we talked about at our staff meeting a couple weeks ago is that we want to produce these people that are like Jesus, right? We want people to be mature and growing. And, and, and over here, where, where they're supposed to be, they're like Jesus, right? We want to produce people. And what we said one of the best ways for people to become like Jesus is by serving, is by actually doing things. So that's why we give you opportunities like Operation Christmas Child, because we want you to take a step and say, "Hey, I'm going to try to become a more generous person. I don't feel generous. I don't want to give my time and energy or my money to buy these gifts for kids, but I'm going to do it anyways. I'm just going to obey." And I really challenge you guys: go downtown to the the center. I, I did that a few years ago, and it was amazing. I, I, that's why I think we're going to need more than 20 spots for the distribution center because it's really cool. Even if you don't feel generous or willing to give up your time to serve, do it anyways. Obey. That's why we're giving you opportunities like to go down to Houston and serve. Some of you are like, I'm not going to give up a week of vacation for other people. But then you're like, no, okay, God wants me to be a generous person. And And, and then you just do it. And what's amazing is that as you're doing these things, as you're just obeying, I'm going to obey Jesus, I'm going to do what you say, it's going to change you. It transforms you. When you go down there for a week down to Houston, you come back and and you're going to be more generous here. You're going to be more willing to serve because God has changed your heart through the obedience, through the doing of the thing. Um, One of the things that we're going to be doing and pushing in the future is a thing called core groups. So right now we have our community groups, and a lot of you are part of them. I think everybody should be in one of those. And this is where you get around a group of you know somewhere between 5 and 20 people in a community group, and you're discussing the message, and you're talking about life, and these are so important. But we, we realize that there's some things that you talk about you can't do with that big of a group of people. So we're just beta testing right now. We have two core groups that have been starting, and, and we're just taking a group of three to five people. and We're saying we're going to commit to doing the things. We're going we're gonna to do it. We're not just going to talk about it. We're going to do it. And so look for those in the future. Some of you are already doing that kind of thing without a core group. But this is what we're, we're going to be looking at in the future, and we're going to encourage people not, to not only just be in a community group, but to say, hey, I want these three to five people. We're going to challenge each other. We're going to hold each other accountable so that we're doing the things we're learning about, doing things. And it happens in community groups. It, we're doing these core groups, so it happens even more. So be on the lookout for that in our church. You'll hear more about that in the years to come. Um, and, and we do this. We obey. And sometimes doesn't it feel like drudgery? Like, I guess I just got to do it Again got to do this thing. What happens on this journey of following Jesus, as you're doing these things, is it's going to be changing your heart too. And that's our third point. The third way that we remain in Jesus is that we choose the joy of the Lord. We choose the joy of the Lord. Because what was drudgery for a while, now all of a sudden becomes what gets you excited. You can't wait to do these things. You can't wait. For Operation Christmas Child every year, I can't wait to be a part of this. In verse 11, Jesus says, "I have told you this that you would obey. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete." Told you all these things. I want you to remain in me in this relationship, so that you could have joy. I want you to have the joy of the Lord, and I want it to be complete. God wants you to be happy. I'm saying that because a lot of people don't know that. God wants you to be happy, truly happy. He really does. It's one of my favorite topics to, to preach on, and I'm just going to give you a little nugget today. But, but look at that. Jesus says, I, I want your joy to be complete. Not this fleeting happiness that's here, and then a few minutes later you regret. No, I want you to have complete joy, full joy. and I want it to last a lifetime, even in the darkest times of your life you can have a joy through it so you have to choose that you have to choose the joy because the reality is god does want you to be truly happy he wants you to have his joy and his joy is much better and deeper than anything the world has it really is and for those of you who think well it doesn't seem like it It just seems like god says all the things that i want to do he says don't do all the things i don't want to do he says do Some of us think that, that God just is a killjoy. He doesn't want us to be happy, but it's the exact opposite. He wants you to do these things, or not to do these things, so that you could be truly happy for your joy. C.S. Lewis, uh, this is one of his favorite topics, too, in his book, Weight of Glory. He he wrote, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, When infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We're settling for this tiny little happiness that we think makes us happy. and It's fleeting and gone. God says, no, no, no. I want you to have infinite happiness. Complete joy. That's why in Psalm 1611... David wrote, complete joy is in your presence. Pleasures are by your side forever. God is a God of happiness and joy. And That's why he tells us how to be happy. Tells us how to find joy. Um, I, like I said, I could preach a whole message on this. There's a great book called Choose Joy by K. Warren. I recommend it. Great. Because we have to choose this happiness in God. We have to choose To have the relationships that build us up and encourage us. To go to church. To be worshiping together. To find joy even in worship. To find joy in obeying. That as we're doing things, our hearts change. And all of a sudden, these things we didn't like to do, we're beginning to like to do, we're changing, we're producing. God wants us to have that joy. So choose joy. You're going to have this anger and bitterness and cynicism that you had. And it's going to be changing and shifting to happiness, joy. And and compassion for people that... Yeah, you didn't even like hanging out with poor people. they are like, oh, what a waste of time. They smell bad. Yes, we have those thoughts. But then you begin to do it. You serve people, you love people, and you realize, wow, this is awesome. I love this because God has changed your heart. You're choosing the joy of the Lord. It's our third point, to remain in Christ. And the amazing thing is that this joy then now is going to be overflowing to others. And that's our fourth point, to remain in Christ. In Jesus, love like Jesus. Love like Jesus. Verse 12, Jesus said, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Love each other. Jesus says, we are supposed to love each other. This is how you remain in me, by by loving other people. Loving those around you. And he says, love like me. Love like I have loved you. And it says in verse 13, one of the greatest verses in the Bible, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Now, this last week with the Las Vegas incident, we saw a lot of terrible things. But if if you saw some of the news stories, there were incredible stories of people willing to lay down their lives and some laying down their lives to help others and save others. Now, that stirs something in our souls. To give their life to serve somebody else. And that's what Jesus did for us. Jesus did for us. And he says, I chose you. Because at the time when Jesus came to save the world, we did not choose God. We were choosing sin. And most of us have chosen sin in our life and a rebellion and what we want to do. And that's exactly when Jesus came to die for us. To serve us and then go up to the cross and shed his blood and be executed to die for us. To offer us forgiveness To offer us a new life, to offer us joy if we would follow him. And Jesus is saying, That way that I have given myself for you, you ought to give your life for others. That's what love is. Now, some of us are like, Well, Matt, I don't feel like I love other people. I don't feel like I love these other Christians or love the poor or love the lost. But Jesus says, It doesn't matter. Love them. (laughs) Love is a verb. It's a verb. And the feeling will come after the verb a lot of times. We do the action, the feeling follows. So we just need to say, I'm going to love others. I'm going to give myself to serve others. And as you do this, you are changed. You're going to become a more loving person. So these are the four ways that we are called to remain. To be in conversation with Christ, to love God through obedience, to choose the joy of the Lord, and to love like Jesus. In this relationship we have, we must remain in Jesus. And then we're going to attain the things that we want and God wants for us. Now, throughout this passage, it's been very clear, like, God cares about the fruit. Okay? He gets rid of any branch that doesn't bear fruit. He prunes the one that do so they'll be even more fruitful. This is what It, it says in um, verse 8 that this is to my Father's glory. This is what makes God happy. And, and he said in verse 16 that this is what you've been appointed for. You are meant to make fruit. But what's amazing is that you don't make fruit by making fruit. You make fruit by remaining. To attain, remain. Bill Hole once said that maturity is not an end in itself. It is a byproduct of following Jesus. So we have this goal of who we want to be, that I want you all to be like. That we're following Jesus and we get to that point where we're more and more like him. People of character and wisdom and love. Compassion and character. But the way to it is through this relationship with Jesus. By remaining in Him, we slowly become like Him. We slowly become like Him. The more time you spend with Jesus, obeying Him, in conversation with Him, loving like Him, seeking His joy, the more time you do that, the more you will unfailingly become like Him. And that's what we're trying to attain. That's what I want you to attain. So I have a challenge for you today. In our bulletin, we have our community group prep questions that we have every week so that you can do your homework before the community group. Um, and the second question this week, I really want to call your attention to because I'm challenging you to pick one way that you're going to commit to, one way for you to commit to this relationship with Christ. What is one spiritual discipline that you're going to choose? So that you're saying, every morning, before I check Facebook, I'm going to spend seven minutes with God, ten minutes with God. Half hour with God. I'm going to read the scriptures. I'm going to commit to reading a chapter of the Bible today. Or maybe you're going to commit to memorizing a verse a week. Maybe you're going to commit time to taking you know 10 minutes to meditate every day. Just saying, I'm going to try to listen to you, God, and hear your voice. But I want you to pick one way that you're c- commit to a relationship with Christ. And you'll talk about it this week at community group. Choose one thing. You know... This, this series, I, I really want you to hear the call of Jesus, that he calls us to follow him. And this involves seeing, resting, remaining, and, and next week we're going to see giving our lives, dying for him. And this whole journey is to take people, because we want lots of people to know Jesus. Our church is growing right now, and that's awesome. Next week we're going to have a baptism. It's going to be sweet. It's one of my favorite weeks, or favorite times of the year, best part of my job. Be involved in baptism. Because we're seeing people saying, I believe in Jesus. I've decided to follow Jesus. That's what they're saying when they're baptized. If you're interested, stay after the service. We'll talk about it. We'll get you baptized. But that's the beginning. We're so excited. We want more and more people in Denver to follow Jesus. We're so excited about that. But we don't want them to just stay there. We want them to continue to follow Jesus, to grow and, and to begin to remain in this relationship with Christ. So I want us to be a church that's growing in numbers, but also growing in depth. That we are becoming people of character and wisdom and love and compassion. I want us to have the width, the breadth, but also the depth. And that's what we're going to be doing as we help people follow Jesus. That's what we're talking about. Helping people follow Jesus. In the very end of our passage, in verse 16, we're talking about this fruit and Jesus says, I want you to go bear fruit, fruit that will last. This is the last thought I want to leave you with before we end And worship. Fruit that will last. There's a lot of things we will do in our life that people will think is significant. We'll have things that we do and businesses we build. But more than likely, people will forget about you in a generation or two. Let's be honest. Maybe if you do something great, they'll put up a statue of you and then 100 years from now, someone will tear it down. There's things we're doing. Okay, the things in this world we think are significant, but they won't last. But anything that we do bearing fruit, producing, will last forever, Jesus tells us. The people that we become and the other people that we help around us to become like Jesus, when we follow Jesus and we help others follow Jesus, that will last forever. We will be with those people into eternity. C.T. Studd once said, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that you would challenge us to be individuals and a church that seeks to remain in you. That we would help people not just come to know you and find salvation. Yes, amazing. Let's, let's do that a million times. But let's also take those people to grow in their relationship with you. That they become more and more like you. That we produce the people that you want us to become. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to attain the maturity, the fruit, the character, the wisdom that you would want for us. And that we might help others around us, too, to attain that. Lord, help us to remain in you when our hearts are prone to wander. Pull us back. Draw us to yourself. Help us to remain in a relationship with you. Amen.